You are listening to the Healing Pact Podcast, a place where women of color come to share their stories and their revelations. This includes the good, the bad, and the ugly. Here we highlight resilience as we validate and normalize real emotions and real experiences. We push ourselves to be a beacon of hope and an advocate for change. I am your host, Melina Sadler, a licensed therapist and a mom of an autistic warrior. I'm here to support and educate you on your options for managing your mental health. Thank you so much for listening. Be well and be encouraged. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Healing Pack Podcast. I am your host, Melina Sadler, licensed mental health counselor in the state of New York and licensed professional counselor in the state of Connecticut. And I'm coming to you all today to officially welcome you into Mental Health Awareness Month. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and the month is really focused on educating the masses on mental health and really just breaking down the stigma. I've talked about this in previous episodes and previous seasons. Most people really don't understand what mental health truly is. So I wanted to talk a little bit today about the difference between mental health and mental illness. I think a lot of times people think mental illness and mental health are synonymous and they are not. Mental health is literally what it sounds like. It's the health of your mental space, your mental state. Everyone should be focused on their mental health because at the end of the day, if you're not in your right mind, other areas of your life are going to be negatively impacted. Mental illness is just that. It's when your mental state is ill. It's when you have the incapacity to control your thoughts and your emotions, to control your reality and everything that comes with it. I feel like when people hear mental health, they automatically assume crazy people, unstable people, uh, criminals, um, just anything in that regard. Like pretty much what you see on TV or in movies and Realistically, those are people that are typically considered to be emotionally disturbed. And what I think is important about this conversation is a lot of those people who are considered to be severely mentally ill, whether they are schizophrenic or have bipolar disorder or some other mental illness or diagnosis, they all started for the most part where we are. Some people showed signs of mental illness very early on in their life and because of the lack of education, maybe their parents didn't really know how to address these concerns early on and therefore these issues became worse. There is the exposure to trauma, which majority of us have, whether big or little, we've all been exposed to something at some point that has been a staple or core memory in our minds and has impacted our ability to be reactive, um, impacting the way we make certain decisions because maybe we're avoiding a certain outcome or we just don't want to repeat certain patterns that maybe we've seen our parents do. So when you think about that and you think about the fact that there are these people that you would label as quote unquote crazy or unstable, when you think about the fact that they started off typically in a place 
just like you and I, where you feel like you're functioning in your wholesome self, you're doing the things you need to do on a regular basis, it makes you wonder, how did they get to this point of being considered crazy or unstable? How did they get to this point where they're acting in bizarre ways or their sense of reality has been taken away from them to the point that they are no longer a functioning citizen? And truly, when you think about it, it's from doing a bunch of things a lot of times that do not serve us and also impact our mental health negatively. A lot of us are engaging in activities on a regular basis that we know are not good for us. We know that there's an emotional toll that's taken when we engage in some of these activities and we continue to do them because they tend to be comfortable in some way. We sometimes find some form of a benefit, even if the outcome is negative, in the moment it feels good. So we're going to do that. There's also the concept of shying away from things where you know there are things you're supposed to do, but you avoid them because you're worried how you might be perceived, how you might feel about yourself, or simply because it's too hard. And when you think about your physical health, there are a lot of things that kind of align with that as well. So for most people, it's weight loss. A lot of people want to lose weight. A lot of people want to look better, feel better. And we all have this wealth of information on how to lose weight, right? Uh, We know about caloric deficits. We know about eating healthier. We know about avoiding sugars and trans fats and grease and oils and over-processed foods with dyes and all of that. We know that we should exercise. We know that we should be physically active. We know how these things impact multiple systems in our bodies, but yet it feels like the most daunting thing in the world to do. There are a lot of providers out there that can provide information and education in these areas, just like a therapist or psychotherapist or psychiatrist, psychologist, a social worker can provide information on how to improve your mental health. But for a lot of people, it feels like the most daunting thing to do because why? We are creatures of habit. We all have very different experiences. We were all brought up in different households with different circumstances that shape the way we think and the way we move through this thing called life. And when you have all of that behind you, Sometimes there is no space for this new information on what you should be doing to take care of yourself. But the consequence of not taking care of yourself is detrimental. We know that if we continue eating poorly, doing things such as substance use, that the consequences are high. There are medical issues that can come up. There are medical diseases and diagnoses that we can get that all can potentially be fatal. And granted, mental illness is not something that we would necessarily say can automatically lead to a fatal outcome. The risk is definitely there because what we know about people who become emotionally unstable or mentally unstable, there's a risk of suicide. Um, There's a risk of homicide because your perception of your reality gets shifted And unfortunately, without extra assistance, which is usually some form of medication or intensive psychiatric treatment, a lot of people cannot come back from those things. When you look at 
the brain scans of some of these people biologically, you'll see that there are a lot of similarities between someone who's deemed to be severely mentally ill and maybe someone who, let's say, has dementia or Alzheimer's or even a traumatic brain injury. Comparing all of these scans together, you'll see that a lot of times the same parts of the brain are impacted. Now, if your brain is in the process of kind of like degenerating or essentially eating away, you're not going to necessarily have the skills to bounce back because at that point you're too far gone. And I find it interesting that so many people are scared of being deemed crazy or mentally ill, but they do not take their mental health seriously. Why not engage in the preventive measures to allow yourself to deal with what you need to deal with and to take care of yourself. I feel like there's this big push on social media for self-care and self-love and affirmations. And it sounds nice to say it out loud, but how many of us are really taking the time to really sit down and sit with our thoughts and sit with our emotions and our feelings and make conscious an intention that can, can change the trajectory of our life? A lot of us are not getting up in the morning and writing down the things that we're grateful for. A lot of us are not getting up and speaking nicely to ourselves. When you think about the thoughts we have a day, many of us are having a lot of negative thoughts, mostly about ourselves, sometimes about other people. But because they are part of our habit and they're part of our daily routine, we don't even recognize just how often it's happening. If we had to do... Uh, thought tracking exercises where we literally had to sit down and write down every single thought that we had for that day, how many of them would be negative? Most of us are not walking around fully positive all the time because we're constantly worried about something or anxious about something. All of the systems in our body are connected. I don't like for our physical health to be separate from our mental health because there literally is an intersectionality there. Part of the reason we'll feel good when we do certain things is because the chemical responses in our bodies that communicate with our brain, that communicate with the rest of our body is what causes us to do the things that we do. Taking the extra steps to get yourself to a point where you feel mentally and emotionally healthy is really important. When we go back to this example of weight loss, I would confidently say 90 plus percent of the time, the reason people can't accomplish their goals in that area is because of their mental capacity, because of what they believe about themselves and what they believe they are capable of versus what they believe they're not capable of. We all have the information, we've seen the YouTube videos, we've gone to health class, we might have had biology at some point, we've seen people successfully implement different routines and life changes to accomplish these goals. It literally takes nothing to emulate that, but because of that mental capacity and the feelings of failure or discouragement or being in denial, those are the real roadblocks. And it makes you wonder why those roadblocks are there in the first place. 
And what does that tell you about how you feel about yourself or what you believe about yourself? A lot of us don't feel that we are capable to do the things that we want to do, so we're not even willing to try. And for some people, that's called imposter syndrome. And for others, they're just, there's a part of them that's just willing to kind of sit with the status quo until they get to that point where the status quo doesn't feel like enough anymore and then they find something else. And that's how a lot of people develop maladaptive coping mechanisms because they're using things to fill voids when they really can just take the energy and time and put in the work and put in the effort. We have to break the stigma around mental health. Mental health is not for crazy people. I'm not going to say there's not people out there that aren't considered crazy. But literally, mental illness, when you think about it, it's essentially... You know, again, like I said, the loss of reality. So yeah, maybe it does seem crazy. But majority of us are not at that point. And majority of us shouldn't have to get to that point. And as uncomfortable as it is and as unsafe as it feels sometimes to sit with your thoughts and your emotions, we have to really push the narrative that you should be doing that more regularly. And I think giving ourselves giving ourselves visual reminders of that on a regular basis, really does help. Uh, something that I decided to start for myself this year was to keep like a a weekly like memory jar, so to speak. I don't have a physical jar. Some people do it that way where they write down something great that happened to them that week or something that they want to remember and they lock it away in a jar. And at the end of the year, they look at this thing. I have a tendency to do different tasks like this because I feel like it gives me that boost of energy I need going into the following year. What I decided to do this year, because I know that I'm really bad at writing things down and putting them into jars or locking them away, I decided to just use the notes section in my phone. And what I've done is I've set a reminder on my phone every Sunday morning to remind me to write something great that happened to me in the past week. And I notice when I'm having bad days or bad weeks, I get to look at that list and remind myself that things are going well, despite maybe this current feeling or this negative feeling that's going to pass by. Reminding myself that things are going well has been helpful in pushing me forward. Having access to those memories is helpful, but also it forces me to find the good in the midst of what could feel like the negative. And I feel like conditioning my brain to do that has been helpful for me. And as a therapist, I feel like it's been helpful for my clients because I can encourage them to do similar activities like this, to really be present for them in a way that maybe I haven't been before because I'm not feeling so down in the dumps. And I know the concept of this can be very weird and it contributes to imposter syndrome because a lot of times as therapists, we forget that we're human too. And when I started my third business with my colleague and my peer, this is something we used to talk about all the time, is what qualifies us to be in this role to create these safe spaces for other therapists of color, to talk about these issues in our communities, to advocate for our community. And ethically, it's part of our responsibility to do so. 
whether that's being a part of an organization or taking it upon ourselves to do something or research or grants. We need to be paying attention to these things. We are qualified when we went to school for it. We passed tests for it. We've done the work out in the field for it. We've started our own private practices for it. The evidence is there. And that's why I thought it was important for us to have the model that we are Black women first and therapists after. Because we're not perfect. We're going to have bad days and bad weeks. And we're going to have dysfunctional family issues. We're going to have dysfunctional issues within ourselves. But that's what makes the therapy process more rewarding. And I'm not going to speak for her, but definitely for me, it makes it more rewarding to know that I started off in a certain place and I was able to overcome those things. I know that I was able to implement things into my life that expanded my mental health and increased the health of my mental capacity. We really just have to get into the habit of doing things that make us feel good. And yes, there are going to be moments in life that don't feel good. But I think we have to really take them as they come and not gloss over them. Really sit in those good moments and do whatever you can to have more of them. Life is going to throw us curveballs, but it doesn't mean that we have to go down a rabbit hole. It doesn't mean that we have to fall into a depressive slump or anxious state all the time just because something didn't turn out the way that we hoped. Life is not going to be exactly what we want it to be. There are certain elements of life that we can control and we hope for the best as we go through those things. But life is going to throw us curveballs. I've talked very candidly about my experiences over the last year and I'm really happy that April is done because I just dealt with, you know, the first anniversary of my mom's passing and her funeral and the sixth anniversary of my grandmother's passing and Thinking about where I started when I felt like my mental health took a a turn for the worse and where I am now is two very different places. And I have a lot on my plate. And I know that it can be counterproductive at times, but I tend to push myself because I know that I don't want to be that person 10 years down the line that's saying, man, I really wish I did that 10 years ago. Or I wish I got this out of the way so that I could have moved on to something else. And realistically, a lot of the things that I'm doing that are really difficult and really hard is because I want a certain outcome in the future. I want to be able to be happy and content with my life and be able to provide a life for my son and my family the way I envision it. I really empower my clients to take actionable steps so that they can claim the life that they truly desire. And I'm really wholeheartedly invested in doing that because a lot of us are stagnant and thinking that we can't tap into this version of ourselves, but we can. And the more you know, the more you can implement. And that's why as I learn things, because I learn things every day, I use it to my advantage. I don't allow myself to stay in a slump too long because I know that that doesn't benefit me in any way, shape, or form. I allow myself to feel the emotions that I feel. I allow myself to process them, and then I immediately move to solutions. Because the problem is going to be the problem. The solution can be whatever you intend for it to be. And that's the difference in taking control of your mental health, 
versus someone who's already lost control and is now deemed to be mentally ill. So I'm encouraging you all to do your best to break the stigma. Validate people's feelings and emotions. Validate your own. It starts with you. A lot of people will do what they see you do. And if you can be the one person that sets an example for your office at work, your household, you'll be surprised how things change. A lot of people, like I said, can't do better because they don't know better. But because you know better and you can do better, them watching you do it can change a lot. So happy Mental Health Month. Happy Mental Health Awareness Month. I am looking forward to talking to you all more about this. Just with balance and imposter syndrome and just some real ways to combat depression and anxiety. I am still working on rescheduling that interview regarding autism because I know some people still wanted that. So we are working on that and I'm hoping to release that episode before the month is over. But for now, that's it. Hope you all have a great week. Be well, be encouraged, and I will see you all in the next episode.